I pray, Lord, that you would do a mighty work through your word now as, as we look at Isaiah 49 and that you would teach us, help me, Lord, fill me with all that I need. I need you, Lord, to come now and help me and do a mighty work in our hearts, I pray. In Jesus' name, amen. Good. In Acts chapter 18, you don't need to turn there, I'll just tell you what happens. We read about Paul going to Corinth, which is a large harbor city, and he travels there because he wants to help people there have their sins be forgiven through faith in Jesus Christ and to come into the joy of knowing God. And so he travels there, he's preaching about Jesus, and he sees some people come to faith through his efforts, but he also faces some opposition. There's some pushback that comes, some dangerous pushback that comes. And so one night, Jesus comes to Paul in a dream and tells Paul, don't be afraid. There are many people I'm going to save through you in this city. And then you read, and you can just imagine that, that would have impacted you. Paul, it sounds like just even more impetus in terms of prayer, even more boldness in terms of reaching out to people, even more power and strength in proclaiming the gospel. And sure enough, over the next 18 months, many, many, many people in Corinth come to faith in Jesus Christ. Okay, now imagine that tonight, Jesus comes to you in a dream and says to you, don't be afraid. I am going to save many people in your neighborhood I'm going to save many people in your workplace. End of dream. How would that impact you? I mean, wouldn't that, whoa, first of all, having Jesus come to a dream would be really cool. But besides that, wouldn't you be like, okay, wouldn't that stir you up to be even more taking the initiative to reach out to people you don't know and to build relationships and to build friendships and to serve and to love and to share the gospel with people? Wouldn't that increase your boldness, and your love and your compassion for lost people. Now here's what I want to show you this morning. Even if Jesus, Jesus doesn't come to you in a dream and says that to you, in his word, he tells you, God tells us again and again, that we have every reason to expect him to save people through us in our neighborhoods and in our workplaces. We have every reason to expect him to save people through us in our neighborhoods and in our workplaces. Turn to Isaiah 49. Let me show you where he says that. I always want to make sure that everybody's got a Bible. So if you don't have one, raise your hand. We're passionate about preaching, teaching the Bible here. So turn to Isaiah 49. And in these Bibles we're passing out, just raise your hand. Don't be bashful. In these Bibles we're passing out, it's on page 609. This morning we're just going to cover verses 1 through 7 and then Lord willing pick up the last part of the chapter next week about how God will never forget us. I'm looking forward to next Sunday already. But here in verses 1 through 7, this is an amazing passage because here we listen in on a conversation between God the Father and Jesus the Messiah, God's Son. In this passage, Jesus is called two things. The servant, he's the servant of God, and he's called Israel. The reason he's called Israel is because Jesus does what Israel should have done. Israel lives the way Israel should have lived, faithful to God, honoring God, glorifying God. And in this 
passage, we get to listen in on a conversation between God the Father and Jesus the Son. And in this passage, God the Father makes an astonishing promise to Jesus. Let's read it through and see if you can find the promise. It starts off, Jesus is talking, and he's calling the distant coastlands to listen. Verse 1. Listen to me, O coastlands, and give attention, you peoples from afar. The Lord called me from the womb, from the body of my mother, he named my name. Speaking of the virgin birth, which was still to happen in the future. So he's speaking about his earthly ministry. He made my mouth like a sharp sword. Speaking of the power of the teaching that he would bring. In the shadow of his hand, he hid me. He made me like a polished arrow in his quiver. He hid me away. He protected Jesus during his earthly ministry. He said to me, You are my servants, Israel in whom I will be glorified. But I said, I have labored in vain. I have spent my strength for nothing and vanity. Yet, surely, my right is with the Lord and my recompense with my God. And now the Lord says, He who formed me from the womb to be his servant to bring Jacob back to him, and that Israel might be gathered to him. For I am honored in the eyes of the Lord, and my God has become my strength. He, God the Father, says, It is too light a thing that you should be my servant to raise up the tribes of Jacob and to bring back the preserved of Israel. I will make you as a light for the nations, that my salvation may reach to the end of the earth. Thus says the Lord, Here's God the Father again, the Redeemer of Israel and His Holy One, to one deeply despised, this is Jesus, abhorred by the nation of Israel, the servant, the slave of rulers. Here's what He says, Kings shall see and arise, princes, and they shall prostrate themselves because of the Lord who is faithful, the Holy One of Israel who has chosen you. So here's this conversation going on between God the Father and Jesus the Son. And God the Father makes a powerful promise to Jesus. Did you catch it? What is this promise that God makes to Jesus? It's right there in verse 6. He, God the Father, says, It is too light a thing that you should be my servant to raise up the tribes of Jacob and to bring back the preserved of Israel. I will make you as a light for the nations that my salvation may reach to the end of the earth. So here God is talking about how Jesus is going to bring salvation to people. Salvation is the most important issue for humanity. Either you have experienced salvation, which is the most important event that could possibly happen, or you need to experience the salvation that's that's available in Jesus. Salvation is the most important thing. Why? Well, it's because God is the infinite joy of the universe and we've all rejected him, turned our backs on him and created idols which we think are going to satisfy our hearts and are, are pursuing these idols instead of the living, glorious, good, massive, powerful, loving God. We've all turned our backs on God and so the Bible calls sin and because God's just, we face eternal punishment. We need to be saved. And when Jesus died on the cross and rose from the dead, he paid for the guilt of sin and he broke the power of sin. 
And so the moment that someone receives Jesus as Savior, as Lord, as heart-satisfying treasure, they're forgiven for all their sins. God adopts them into his family. From that moment on, God is your Father. And forever, this life, life to come, he's loving you, he's providing for you, he's caring for you, he's strengthening you, he's comforting you, he's empowering you, he's, most important, satisfying you with himself. From now, forever giving you a a meaningful life, advancing the good news of salvation, helping you, satisfying you, filling you. That's what you have in salvation. That's what salvation is, and Jesus brings salvation. But what God says in verse 6 is it's too light a thing for Jesus to bring salvation just to Israel. God the Father promises Jesus is going to bring salvation to the ends of the earth. He's going to be the light of the nations. And that word nations, we've talked about this before. In the Hebrew, it's goyim. You've heard that. That's referring not just to geopolitical boundaries, but to all all the thousands and thousands of different ethnic and linguistic groups that there are in the world. Jesus will be the light to all of those ethnic groups, and his salvation will go to the very ends of the earth. Okay, so, so picture a globe here, a globe, and picture it dark with sin. Okay? First of all, God is going to work through Jesus to bring salvation to Israel. That has happened some. That is going to be continuing to happen, and it will continue happening even more towards the end. So here's this little Israel, and light's going to be shining there. Not that every Israelite's going to be saved, but God's going to bring an even greater saving work upon Israel. But that would be too light of a thing if that's all that happened. Darkness and then little light piece here. Jesus is going to be the light to the nations, every ethnic group. Not that every single person is going to be saved, but that Jesus' salvation will touch every single corner of the globe, the very ends of the earth. Every group of people will be touched by Jesus' salvation. That's what God promises to Jesus here. Now, if you've read the passage carefully, though, that sounds shocking. Here's why it's so shocking. It's because... Well, look at how Jesus describes his ministry in verse 4. There's two verses in these, in verses 1 through 7, where we see that Jesus' earthly ministry did not look very successful. In fact, quite the contrary. Look at how Jesus describes his earthly ministry in verse 4. He says, But I said, I've labored in vain. I've spent my strength for nothing and vanity. At the end of Jesus' ministry, it looked like his earthly ministry was an, like an epic fail. Okay, just be, why? Because we had a few followers. There was the 12. There was a company of women who followed. There were 70 disciples he sent out. There was people like Nicodemus. So he had a few followers. But what happened right after Gethsemane? First of all, Judas had betrayed him. One of the 12 had gone and betrayed him. The rest of the disciples fled. Peter publicly denied him three times. Right? So everybody's gone. Except for almost everybody. Some of the women went to the tomb and were there at the, at the cross. So where's his ministry? Where's his followers? They're like, yikes, we're gone. And there's Jesus left alone. So it looked like Jesus' ministry was a failure. Now, he knew it wasn't because he knew Isaiah 49. And look at what he says, end of verse 4. Yet surely my right is with the Lord and my recompense with God. But anyone else looking at Jesus' ministry would have thought, fail. And look at how... God describes Jesus in verse 7. Thus says the Lord, the Redeemer of Israel and His Holy One, 
to one deeply despised. That's the exact same Hebrew word used in Isaiah 53, verse 3. You're familiar with Isaiah 53? He was despised and rejected of men. Speaking of the suffering servant. So the Lord is speaking to one deeply despised, abhorred by the nation, the servant, the slave of rulers. So Jesus was despised on the cross. He was abhorred by the nation. Remember when all the people in Jerusalem could choose either to have Barabbas released, the murderer, or to have Jesus released? So here's, here's all of the Israelite people out there in, in, in Jerusalem, and they can choose what they want. Remember what they said? Free Barabbas. What about Jesus? Crucify. Crucify him. Torture him to death. That's Jesus here. Deeply despised, abhorred by the nation. Okay, so here's Jesus at the end of his ministry. Most all of his followers have fled. He's alone, beaten, tortured shamefully on the cross, dead. Cold corpse in the tomb. And yet God says, I will make you a light of the nations that my salvation may reach to the end of the earth. How can God say that? Most all of his followers have fled, corpse in the tomb. How can God promise to do this? It's because God is God. God is sovereign over everything. Listen, whatever God wants to do, God can do. Isaiah 115, verse 3. He does whatever he pleases. Whatever God wants to do, he can do. doesn't make any difference how dead a corpse is in the tomb. doesn't make any difference. God can raise it. doesn't make any difference how hard the nation's hearts are. God can change hearts, okay? God has promised to Jesus you will be a light of the nations and my salvation will reach the ends of the earth in you. And God always keeps his promises. And so God brought his power upon that tomb and he raised Jesus from the dead physically. Remember a few weeks ago, Easter, we talked about this, literally, physical, bodily resurrection, a resurrection body. And Jesus was raised showing him as the Messiah, the one who conquered sin and death, and who now would move out by the power of God. He was the fully God, fully man, moving out, advancing the light of the gospel everywhere he went. And then God pours the Holy Spirit upon Jesus' followers, day of Pentecost. Remember that? They're transformed from being you know, fearful, timid, wimpy, to being bold, loving, courageous witnesses. And then Peter stands up in front of thousands of people in Jerusalem, The same thousands, I imagine, at least many of them, who just a few days before had said, crucify, crucify him, torture him to death. And Peter stands up, bold. And he shouts out and he says, you crucified the Messiah. And God has raised him from the dead. And you are in trouble. And God brought his power and changed the hearts of 3,000 of them. They're broken. What can we do to be saved? And they received Jesus into their lives that day as their Savior and their Lord and their treasure. And a world movement started. And so for the next 
centuries, the church moved south into the Africas and east into Asia and north into Europe and then west into Spain and ultimately to the Americas. And now today God is continuing to move forward the gospel of Jesus as the light to every people group and his salvation is going to be advancing and touching every place on the globe to the very ends of the earth. That's how God can advance this. That's how he can promise this. Is because he is sovereign and nothing stops what God chooses to do. Okay. So what does this mean for us? This means that we can expect Jesus to save people in our workplaces and in our neighborhoods. We can expect that. Now you think, okay, how did you get from light of the nations, ends of the earth, to my neighborhood? How would you get there? Okay, there's, there's two steps in my thinking. I, I want to see if this works for you. First of all, God promises right there in Isaiah 49.6 to bring Jesus' salvation to the ends of the earth. Now, where's Isaiah when he writes these words? He's in Jerusalem. And if you travel halfway around the globe, where do you come? Come to my neighborhood. Okay? And yours too, right? We are the ends of the earth from the perspective of Isaiah 49.6. So he's talking about us. I mean, he's talking about everywhere in the earth, but he's got our neighborhoods, our workplaces in mind. So that's one step. And then the second step is just simply this. If you're a follower of Jesus, and you're in a neighborhood, and you're in a workplace, then you have every reason to believe that God is calling you and will enable you to help people come to faith there in your neighborhood and there in your workplace. First of all, this is what Jesus calls us to do. Right? He says, to all of his followers, go and make disciples. Right? That's what you're called to do. So in your neighborhood, you're called to go and make disciples. In your workplace, you're called to go and make disciples. And then Jesus promises that he will enable you to do that, which is so cool because I feel totally inept, but he will enable you to do that. He says, follow me, and I will make you become what? Fishers of men. Your job is to follow me. My job then is you're following me. I will make you become a fisher of men. None of you are right now, but if you follow me, you will, is what he's saying to us. So he promises, he calls you to it, and he promises he will enable you to do it. And then Jesus said, as the Father has sent me, I've sent you. You are sent by Jesus into your neighborhood. You are sent by Jesus into your workplace to advance the gospel. So we can expect, we have every reason to expect that Jesus will work through us to, I'm going to switch this around here, to, uh, to bring many people to salvation. You can expect him in your neighborhood and your workplace to work with his saving power. Now here's my question. Have you been expecting Jesus to save people in your neighborhood or in your workplace? Is that something you've been expecting him to do? I would guess most all of us would say, not as much as I should, okay? And I'm, I'm totally with you in that. Me neither. But see, if you, if you expect Jesus to bring his saving power into your neighborhood or your workplace, it'll make, it'll make a huge difference. Um, thought about this illustration. I used to love to go backpacking in the Sierras, uh, high school and college years. And especially, I liked fishing for trout. Anybody did the little salmon egg thing where you can actually like drop the salmon egg in the river and see like the trout like five feet down and like get the salmon egg right there and get them? Okay, a few of you. Okay, some of you. I used to love to do that. But now what if I was going on a backpacking trip and I read in this guidebook about the, the area we're going to and it says, you should not expect to catch any fish in this area. Oh, 
well, okay, so would I, would I take my fishing pole? Probably not. Would I go out there and fish? Probably not. Because what you expect makes a huge difference. But what if instead the guidebook said, this is fishing paradise? Okay? There are big, scrumptious, oh, I didn't tell you about, you know, because you catch them and then you can cook them over your fire that night. Oh, man, it's awesome. Okay? So there are big, luscious, hungry trout teeming in these streams. Okay? If that was the expectation level, would I take my, my rod and would I spend time fishing? Absolutely. See, it makes all the difference if you're expecting that Jesus is going to save people versus if you're not expecting that he's going to save people. It makes all the difference. Hey, John Miller is a guy I've recommended his book to many of you. He wrote this great book called The Heart of a Servant Leader. And in this book, uh, it's letters that he writes to pastors and missionaries and, and Christian workers. And he's just got great wisdom, mature, loving, solid, rock-solid guy. And he's writing a letter to one pastor who's discouraged because he hasn't led anybody to faith in a long time, outside of you know, Sunday mornings, but like on his own, the coffee shop or you know, his neighborhood. So what would you say to a pastor who hadn't led anybody to faith for a long time in his, in his own neighborhood, say, for example? What would you say? Would you maybe say, uh, well, maybe you don't have the gift of evangelism? Or maybe you might say, well, maybe you're in a really like, particularly hard or resistant area. Or maybe you'd say, well, you know, maybe you're just sowing and somebody else's job is to reap, okay? And John Miller says none of those things. His answer shocked me when I first read it. Let's see what you think about this. Here's what he said. He said, he said a lot of other stuff, but here's just this one paragraph. Don't rest until you have at least 20 people to pray, who pray for you daily. Ask them to pray for you to be able to lead five people to Christ in the next six months. Then put feet on your prayers and go out and find them. That blew me away. Because John Miller knows that if we will pray and if we will humbly and lovingly reach out to people and befriend people and serve people and tell people about Jesus, John Miller knows people will get saved. They will. They will. He has no doubt in his mind. 20 people to pray for you. Go out and lovingly, don't make people into projects, just love people, serve people, babysit for people on your street, you know, mow their lawn if they're sick, bring meals to them if they're having, you know, get some kind of surgery or whatever. Serve them, love them, care for them, befriend them, reach out to them, listen to them, tell them about Jesus. You will see people saved. John Miller knew because God had promised, I will make you a light of the nations that my salvation will reach to the ends of the earth. He knew it. So what can we do? What should we do? I just want you to ask yourself honestly, do you expect that Jesus is going to save people through you? In your neighborhood or in your workplace. And so I feel like, you know, there is a Satan, right, who loves to deceive us. And what an amazingly tragic and heartbreaking deception if he can tell people who have the medicine that the neighbors need, if he can help us think, nothing's going to happen. I'm just going to keep this to myself. It's a tragic deception. And it'll change everything if you can change your expectations. Understand that biblically, God promises. He, he says we have every reason to expect that he will save people in our neighborhoods and in our workplaces. Now to my shame, 
uh, four years ago, maybe, I did not have much expectation about anything happening in my neighborhood. Yeah, I don't even really know the reasons why, but I didn't. I just didn't. Um, loved to preach the gospel, loved to preach Sunday mornings, you know, but just didn't have much expectation about my neighborhood. We have wonderful neighbors. Love them dearly. And, uh, but we never had anybody over. Just had no, you know, we just kind of, you know, drive in, drive out, high by, and, you know, that kind of thing. But God started to change my heart. And as Jan and I were talking and praying, we should be expectant that because he's sent us to live right here on Rycroft Court, that he, is going to, he's, he has sent us here as missionaries. He's going to use us here to help people come to know Jesus. That's what we're all about. He's going to do that. And so we started to brainstorm and pray, what, you know, how could we build some more relationships? How could we open up some more doors? What could we do? And we came up with this idea, some of you, most of you know, I think, but we thought we would um, do a, a cul-de-sac barbecue, invite all the neighbors to come. So we went flyers door to door and invite them to come. We'll provide the meat. Uh, you bring side dishes and drinks. We'll do it out on the street. And so we did that, and almost all the neighbors came. And we had a fantastic time. Everybody loved it so much so that we said, let's do another one later in the summer, which we did. And then that kind of opened doors. So then through the next school year, like for uh, Monday night football and for Giants games, we'd have people over to our house for, for uh, you know, dinner and, or just a party to watch the game. And then this last summer, we did some more barbecues. And then this, during this last school year, we had more people over. And so God has opened up some amazing doors for the gospel and given us some really sweet friendships with some awesome people that we really didn't know that well four years ago. In fact, things are so... Just kind of so casual and fun now. This, a week ago, Thursday night, we were at bringing our trash cans in, and the couple across the street were bringing their trash cans in, and the couple next to us were bringing their trash cans in all at the same time. And we all ended up talking, and I just threw out, hey, you guys are going to watch the Sharks tonight, because this was, you know, Sharks against Detroit, game number seven. And they said, well, yeah, we're thinking of watching it. And so we said, well, why don't you come over to our house? And so we ordered a pizza. They came over, we all watched the Sharks game, and the Sharks beat Detroit. I mean, it was an amazing thing, okay? Now... My challenge to you is, is, is simply this. God changed our expectations. I needed to expect, see that I have every reason biblically to expect that he has sent us there for a reason. Not just to live, but to share Jesus Christ with people. And when our expectations started to change, we started to change, and we are just floored. I mean, Jan and I frequently say, this is an amazing thing he's done. Because people are just coming over coming over and we're watching and we're eating and we're drinking and having a great time and uh, doors for the gospel are being opened so the most crucial step is to raise your expectations what are your expectations about your neighborhood about your workplace see God is sovereign it doesn't make any difference how close somebody might appear God's not worried with man it is impossible but not with God With God, all things are possible. God can open the most closed heart. He opened yours. He opened mine. He can open any heart. God can work through you no matter how weak you may feel. Let me give you a couple of just suggestions here. Some of you are maybe thinking, I'm scared to death, I'm full of fear, and I could never see myself doing that. Okay, man, you're in good company. Woman, you're in good company. Here we all are. here's, Here's my invitation to you. Pray every day for God to change your heart and and give you courage. Pray in Jesus' name. Just honestly say, I'm afraid, I'm timid. I guarantee you, if you will pray, Jesus will change your heart. I still get fearful, but it's not as much. 
And you know, courage doesn't necessarily mean that you don't feel fearful anymore, this is what I've heard. Courage means you do it anyway, right? And he'll give you grace to do that. So pray. And then secondly, some of you may feel like, I don't have any idea how to share the gospel with somebody. Okay, you're in good company there too. Now, our home groups are communities of love and nurture, but they're also communities of training and equipping. And so we are going to be, we have been, we are pursuing in our home groups to train you about how can you share the gospel in a way that's, that's you, in a way that fits you. So it's not Saul's armor on David, but it's, it, it, it fits you. So talk to your home group leader. And, uh, and if you're not in a home group, uh, you can go online under resources, being missional. You'll see the stuff we use in our home groups. You can get it all there. Or, you know, talk to one of the other home group leaders or talk to Jerry or talk to me. And then third, I would encourage you to ask God to give you one person that you can just love. One person you can love. One person you can serve. One person you could pray for. One person who doesn't know Jesus that you could show Jesus to by your actions and share Jesus with by your words. Now, why would you want to pursue these? Why pray for your heart to change? Why pursue being trained and equipped? And why ask God to give you one person? It's because this book says we have every reason to expect, every reason to expect that God will advance the gospel. He will save people through you in your neighborhood and in your workplace. So let God's promise to Jesus just ring in your ears and let that raise your expectations and then watch what will happen. Now, let, what, what questions does that stir up in your mind? It's like, ah, I'm not so sure about that or did you really mean that? or What, what questions? Does that make sense? Does, does, does it... Does that sound like the right interpretation of Isaiah 49, 1 through 7? So my encouragement to you is just simply this. Um, I believe biblically we have every reason to expect. I'm trying to state that very carefully. So no, no, I don't want to get into hype or, or promises or rah-rah, but biblically you have every reason to expect that God will use your efforts in your neighborhood to see people brought to faith, and he will use your efforts in the workplace to bring people to faith. We have every reason to expect that. And so we move out of love and desire to see Jesus Christ glorified and trusting God for the results, but we move because we're expecting that he will do these things. 
if you're not expecting, then, we, then you won't. And a huge change will happen in your heart if you change your expectations. Just think, what again, what would happen if Jesus came to you in a dream tonight and said, I'm going to save many people through you in your neighborhood or in your workplace? Would that change what you do? Let's change what we do anyway because of what he said to us in the word. All right, let's stand together and pray. Lord, we are weak and frail and deal with sin in our own lives, but you are Savior and faithful, forgiving. You're our helper. And you can use frail, weak people like us to bring about the most amazing transaction in the universe for our neighbors and people in our workplace. We tremble at that. We feel totally inadequate for that. Lord, we know that when we're weak, that's when we see your strength. And so I pray specifically that you would change our expectations. That we would have, Father, your promise to Jesus ringing in our hearts. That you will make him a light to all the ethnic linguistic groups and that you will cause his salvation to go to the ends of the earth. And that we have every reason to expect that you're going to advance the gospel in our neighborhoods and in our workplaces. So help us. Would you transform us by the renewing of our minds so that we do have expectations that are in sync with your word and not that are in disagreement with your word. So strengthen us in this. Thank you that you will give us everything we need as we pursue this. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.